The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. All right, EJ, it is Evil Empire Day here on the Bootleg Football Podcast. We are talking Patriots, we're recapping 2021, and we're looking forward to 2022. Every single move that they have made between the end of the season until now, and how that's probably going to affect them as we quickly approach the start of training camps. By the time this comes out, I think training camps only going to be a couple weeks away. So, uh, it's almost here, man. It's almost here. Excited to talk Pats today. Lots to go over. Lots of questions to pontificate about because this is a very confusing team uh to break down but uh we're gonna at least try but before that how you doing how you feeling what are you drinking i i feel like we're scooby-doo in the mystery machine we have a, a <laughs> team of mystery here that we get to kind of pick apart um lots of moves uh some i'd say lots of familiar faces uh certainly not one of the youngest teams in the nfl so lots of familiar names, but some new ones in key places that make it very interesting, both on the coaching staff side and the player side. So we'll get into all of that as we do in this series regularly, digging apart all the moves. But yeah, rolling through the AFC East, rolling through all the divisions. We're now eh, almost a third of the way through, not quite. And, uh, you know, that's that's feeling pretty good. It seems like fans are, are resonating to that. So yeah, we should get to it. Well, we're going to start off the show every way, or every, every, how do I phrase that? I'm, I'm, I've been drinking cognac for like a solid 90 minutes now, so ding, spare ding. me. Um, we're going to start off the show the way that we do every other show. Uh, looking at the 2021 Patriots, kind of giving a little quick recap of everything that went right, everything that went wrong. Uh between the months of September and January of last year, they did finish with a 10-7 and record, second in the division, maybe a little bit better than a lot of people expected, coming off a 7-9 and year the year before that, which was the absolute bottom of the Belichick-era Patriots. That was, that was the worst it ever had been, and they were still an average team. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, they spend a bunch of free agency. They draft a young quarterback who's looking pretty good. And then they're right back to being a double-digit win team. So, like I said, evil never sleeps. But they ended up second in the division. Um, they did make the playoffs. Didn't go well for them in the playoffs. But they did make it. Uh, four and five at home, which w that's something that we're not used to seeing at all from the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Usually they're a fortress at home. They, they dropped several that 
were probably winnable. Road record, though, 6-2. and two. They were their usual road warrior selves. They ran the ball well. They played good defense situationally. Mac, for the most part, took care of the ball. A uh, couple games here and there where he slipped up like all rookies do. But for the most part, he was very efficient for them. Last five games, though, uh, uncharacteristic for the December New England Patriots. Two and three record to finish things out. Did kind of sputter towards the end there and then obviously got... Uh, kind of walloped in the playoffs by Buffalo like everybody else does. Um, but it was it was interesting. We're used to seeing you know them kind of get stronger as the year goes on and then they're full steam ahead straight into the winter. And uh, I don't want to say that there was a crack in the armor, but I think the when you look at how the Bucks operate late in the year under Tom Brady and you look at how the Patriots operate late in the year under Mac Jones, I think... It is now clear to me, at least, that a lot of the the clutch factor, a lot of that, you know, turning Gillette into a fortress whenever whenever the snow starts falling, a lot of that, I think, really did come down to Tom Brady more than anything else. And we got a while to go until Mac Jones reaches that same status. I'll put it diplomatically that way. I think we give Mac Jones a little bit more road. I mean, he was a rookie quarterback coming into some of the biggest shoes, the biggest shoes ever. Uh, so I wouldn't expect the same results. And yeah, they sputtered a little bit. Two and three at the end. Uh, for longtime Patriots fans, I know that's hard to swallow. They have seen it one way for 20 years, and they expect it to be that way. It's not going to be with this much change, but Mac played really well i think better than a lot of people expected especially after the year before and the fact that mac was not the most heralded quarterback in the class but played better than most of them in his rookie year and going six and two on the road as a rookie quarterback is something else so while they were strong in some areas a little bit weaker than they have traditionally been in others I would imagine that will even out a bit. Is he going to get to Tom Brady-ish levels? I don't think that's a reasonable expectation for just about anybody because Tom Brady is, you know, the winningest quarterback of all time by far. So, but I think it'll, I think that December feeling might come back a little bit more to Foxborough uh, as Mac gets more comfortable. All rookie quarterbacks struggle and he struggled less than most. Yeah, I mean, people had kind of lukewarm expectations for him. Uh, Not that I had, like, massive expectations for him, but I did have a higher grade on him coming out than I had on Tua. Mm -hmm. So, like, I I did like him a lot as a prospect, but even people that liked Mac Jones, you know, maybe didn't expect him to be as successful as a rookie as he was. Like, he was cool, calm, collected, efficient, um, for the most part took care of the ball. You know, flash some some really nifty mobility here and there uh, in terms of avoiding pressure, you know, operating in space. You know, a lot of Patriots fans aren't used to seeing that from their quarterbacks. So, uh, yeah, there, there was really a lot to like. I thought he had a very good rookie year, as good a rookie year as you can hope for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking about him versus Tom in that game, like the Patriots really gave the Bucks under Tom Brady, who were a buzzsaw all they could handle like that game came down to the very very end with let's be honest the Patriots being outgunned roster wise and having a rookie quarterback against the GOAT so 
I, I think there's the the ten and seven record was exceeding a lot of expectations, and it could have even been better than that. So there's still a lot of room for growth here. Uh, in terms of the power structure at B, one of how do I put this? They're both the most stable organization in the league and possibly the most confusingly unstable organization in the league in the sense that the man at the top, Bill Belichick, been there for 23 years. He is the rock upon which the conference is built. Let's be honest, he is. But we don't know who their coordinators are. They don't have an offensive coordinator listed. They don't have a defensive coordinator listed. They do have a special teams coordinator, Cameron Ankert. He's been there for five years. But we don't know for sure who's actually calling the plays on offense and defense. We think that it's either Gerard Mayo or Steve Belichick that's calling it. I'd probably lean towards Steve on that, but we've also heard some people say, like, no, it's really Mayo. Um, On offense, we don't really know who's going to be calling the plays. Um, All we know right now is that Matt Patricia works with the offensive line and that Joe Judge works with quarterbacks and, you know, spends some time with receivers as well. So we think that he's going to be calling the plays because he's the one working with the quarterbacks. But, I mean, shit, I would even argue that Brian Hoyer is secretly the real quarterbacks coach. So it's, it's, it's an amazing dichotomy between stability at the very, very top, but then in terms of all the middle management level, we don't know who's doing what. So it's... It's stable maybe on the inside, but at least from the outside looking in, like, how do we evaluate a staff when we don't know who's actually got the keys? It's difficult to do. Matt Patricia is not even listed on offense, which is fascinating if you go to the coach's page for New England. He has his own category (laughs) down at the bottom. He is listed as... uh, Senior football advisor. That's it. That's all it says. Hey, we don't know what that means. No, it's his very <laughs> own category. It's not offense, not defense, not special teams, just senior football advisor. So he is there. We know he's doing things, but we don't know what. This is very Belichickian. Um, you know, Bill has famously been, I don't want to say fast and loose, but vague with injury reports. Doesn't really care. Um basically sort of tempts the league to find him for not sending out stuff on time or fully fully fleshed out or just not reporting stuff this is sort of one more facet right one one more new wrinkle for the patriots to just say oh we're not going to tell you who the coaches are i mean we're going to tell you who the coaches are but we're not going to tell you what they do so good luck with that um it'll be interesting to see from an effectiveness standpoint how this Let's call it a hybrid structure because we can't really call it anything else. We don't know what the structure is, how it works out. And over time, if it shakes out, that it becomes clear that Joe Judge is calling more of the plays or who knows, Hoyer's having more input. I've certainly heard that conspiracy theory that Brian Hoyer, although he's a player listed as a player, he's been in this offense for as long as anybody. And he's, you know, sort of secretly calling the plays. He's got the headset on. So why not just have him call the plays? Um, It'll be fascinating to see how it shakes out on both sides of the ball. Because, again, last year we had questions about one of their coordinators. So who's the defensive coordinator? This year we've got questions about both. So uh, it's an interesting evolution. Patriots always seem to make it work. Uh, They're comfortable with it, which I think is the thing that matters the most. And a lot of the players, uh, not players, a lot of the participants in this 
grand play are very familiar. They've been around the Patriots a long time. The Patriots value loyalty possibly more than any other team in the NFL. And these are not newcomers, right? They're on their second or third uh, comeback with the Patriots or have always been there. And so that breeds a lot of shorthand among the coaching staff, a lot of familiarity, a lot of comfort. So they can sort of get through and over problems quicker than many coaching staffs have because there's so much tenure and experience on the staff. I have a conspiracy theory because how I mentioned like, oh, Brian Hoyer's the real quarterbacks coach, which I promise that makes a lot more sense than you think, even though he's the backup quarterback. Like he's got more experience in the system than all the actual coaches do. So and he's a quarterback. He's, he's probably a quarterback's coach. He's just also a player. Um, but I have a conspiracy theory on defense. Because that's the one that I think is even harder to figure out. Like, I, I'm i pretty sure Joe Judge is going to be the quote-unquote play caller on offense. Defense is the harder one to figure out because I have had the same number of people tell me that Mayo calls it and the same number of people that tell me that Steve calls it. I think it's a little bit even more complicated than that. I think that Mayo and Steve set the front. You know who sets the coverage as the pass, quote-unquote pass game coordinator? It's Devin McCourty. He's it. Because huh. he's on the field, so he's the one who, who sets the coverage anyway. He's 35. He's been yeah. there forever. He knows the system like the back of his hand. He is the system. It's kind of like how, oh, Tom Brady is his own offensive coordinator. Yeah, Devin McCourty is their pass game coordinator. When he's on the field, it's like, all right, what's the personnel grouping? And then he looks at the formation, and he just fucking sets it. Because... He sets the coverage, and then the front sets off that. I Even if they never admit it, I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen because Devin is, again, he's probably more experienced in this system than all the actual coaches are. He's been there that long. I think this is a very player-driven team, unlike almost any other team in the league, which they can get away with doing because they're also one of like the three oldest rosters in the league. Like They're, they're extremely experienced. So what you're telling me is that if Brian Hoyer or Devin McCourty gets suspended for PEDs and can't oh, they're be around the fucked. team, <laughs> they're fucked. Like half the <laughs> offense and half the defense is going to drop away. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it. But it is interesting to see the player progression within New England and how we're going to get to the notable coaches here in a second. It's a decent segue, but like how a couple of them you were like, oh course like they they were basically a coach on the field anyways and now they just wear the polo instead of the instead of the pads so the patriots do this in a very particular way people say a team is like family this is this is like a family business which is a whole mm -hmm. other layer in terms of it actually is a family business on the defensive side but in terms of players that come through spend a long time with new england have a ton of experience, as you said, more experience than maybe even some of the coaches they're dealing with, and then become the coaches themselves. That's not an uh, that's a common thing on some teams for a few players. For New England coaches, it's uh, I don't want to say it's the rule, but it's much more common than it is typically league wide. In terms of notable coaches under the mystery layer, that is coordinators. Um, they also have a lot of guys that have bounced around <laughs> the same programs. And I consider Alabama and Patriots to be like the same. You know, we talk about family and extended family. Yeah. 
same kind of thing. Uh, you can see how close to the core that Belichick keeps this staff in terms of coaches that he's worked with before, players that played under coaches he's worked with before. It's a very, I think familial is, is I think you hit it right on the head. Like it is a familial group in terms of the assistants. Also one of the smallest coaching staffs in the NFL bears noting that uh, the team that we'll talk about tomorrow, the bills have like 25 coaches listed on their coaches page. Patriots have like just over half of that, which they might have more than that. They're just not <laughs> listing them because they're the Patriots and they're the players. So you can't list them <laughs> yeah, on the same the page. Players. Yeah. So on offense, notable coaches, uh, we do this every episode uh ivan fears the running back coach i put him at the top because he has 31 years of nfl experience not 31 years of coaching experience 31 years of coaching experience in the nfl that's a lot three decades coaching in the nfl is a ton joe judge uh is listed as offensive assistant that's his title former giants head coach most recently Troy Brown, here's the one. Here's the example. He is the wide receiver and kick returners coach. That's a very interesting designation. Haven't seen that one throughout the league. Usually it says something like special teams assistant. No, it says specifically kick returners coach. Former wide receiver spent his entire career, 15 years with the Patriots. No surprise that he's on this staff. He followed the path that we just laid out. Billy Yates, uh, assistant offensive line coach, former guard with the Dolphins, the Patriots, and the Browns. Another one from in-house. And, keeping with the theme, Vinny Sanseri is a name that a lot of folks will recognize. He's coaching, uh, he's his sister, or he's just running backs coach, but I think if you've got a guy like Ivan Fears that's been coaching running backs for 31 <laughs> yeah. years, Vinny Sanseri is the assistant, whether it says so or not. Former NFL safety from Alabama, came to the league, got drafted, went back to Alabama to do his, I call them rehab years under Nick Saban because so many coaches and former players go to Alabama for a year and then get a job somewhere else. Spent a year as a grad assistant back under Saban at Alabama, and now he is back in the NFL, or in the NFL, well, back in the NFL this time as a coach uh, under Nick Saban, or sorry, under Bill Belichick, I just confuse him because they're like same uncles, thing. <laughs> uncles, cousins, like you said, it's the relatives from down south, like went from the family farm in Alabama, now he's up in New England. Uh, on defense and special teams, uh, Jared Mayo, inside linebacker, former LB, spent his entire career with the Patriots. Sounds familiar. Uh, Steve Belichick, outside linebacker's coach, Bill's son. Brian Belichick, safety. Bill's other son. So when we say family business, in in reality, it is a family business, especially on the defensive side. But all those coaches have been in or around or working with the Patriots in one capacity or another for a very long time. If you added up all their Patriot-centric experience, I think it would be greater than any other team in the league if you took coaches and said, how many years have you spent with this franchise the, the that sum total for the Patriots all jammed together, I think, would dwarf any other NFL franchise. Could be wrong. Don't have numbers to back it up, but it sure feels that way. Yeah, it's just it's it's really fascinating how how close to the vest this whole organization plays it. It's like it's like the mob. Like when, once you're in, man, <laughs> you're different in different kind of family. <laughs> uh, by the way, just random fun fact uh, to put in perspective. 
how recent Vinny Sinceri like was a player. Like he's he's a young guy. Uh, if you go back to the secondary, like just the safeties group, actually that he played with at Alabama because he came out in 2014. Again, not that long ago. The safety core at Alabama that he played with, his teammates, it was Sanceri and HaHa Clinton Dix were the starters. The guys behind them were Nick Perry, Landon Collins, and Eddie Jackson. That's just insane. Yeah, like the class behind Even by Bama standards, that's nuts. Just that, that being your college safety group. And Sinceri might have been like the fourth or fifth best player in that group, and he ended up being the starter. It's just, it's wild, man. So yeah, he he really played not that long ago. He's a pretty young guy. He's only like twenty eight, and uh, and again, once once you're in New England as a coach, you don't get out. So he's going to be there for the next twenty years, as long as Bill's there, <laughs> he's going to be there. Unless he goes to be like the defensive coordinator at Alabama and takes a stint at the farm and then comes back. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, in terms of free agency and losses or personnel losses in general, again, this is this can be trades. It can be guys they let walk. It can be guys they cut. You know, all manner of personnel losses. The thing that really sticks out to me here is how much turnover they had within their linebacking core. And this was an, an older, very experienced linebacking core. It seems like they're making a concerted effort to get younger at the position and in particular get faster at the position. Jamie Collins, gone. Dante Hightower, Patriots legend, gone. Uh, Kyle Van Noy, still a great player in my opinion, uh, gone. That one probably more surprising than any of them. They are making an absolute effort to prioritize speed and flexibility Kind of seems like they're moving away from, I don't want to say one-trick ponies, but more in the the role player that we mix and match and have certain packages for. I think they kind of want to. Uh, I think they want to be able to deal with ho- with no uh, deal with excuse me no huddle stuff, especially from Buffalo a little bit better by having more versatility on a down by down basis, so that they're not, you know, they don't get caught once in a personnel grouping that's not optimal. And, you know, they can't get out of a certain call because Dante Hightower can't handle certain things in coverage or, you know, Van Noy can't handle certain things. Um, I think they want to go more towards the do-it-all realm of linebacker. So that one fascinated me. And then also, obviously, trading Shaq Mason for a fifth-round pick. I, I, I still don't get it. Uh, the J.C. Jackson, you know, letting him go to the Chargers, that one is a little bit more understandable. Because they do have a lot of corners, like young corners, they like. Like I, 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 I get that one more. Shaq Mason for a fifth. Come on, you you could have done better than that. 
That's a favor to Tom. There's, I, that's the best explanation I've come up with because from any other standpoint other than you ratted on somebody and so you're out of the family, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, the other one that struck me, not because of percentage, but just because of utility and usage, much like those linebackers you talked about, was Gunnar Olszewski, the wide receiver, who was just that sort of glue guy getting those receptions playing special teams was a good returner uh really felt like a guy that was gonna play like troy brown for a long time with the patriots have a you know distinguished career lengthwise if not production wise and then move on to be an assistant wide receivers coach with the patriots and uh he still may uh you know but he was signed by the steelers he's gone um it does feel like they've seen Kyle Duggar. Mm -hmm. They've they've gone. Oh, oh, oh. We all want the more of that. <laughs> yeah, all the guys that play there could do that. Um, yeah, those guys can't do that. We want more of that, and we have a lot of these guys because that's the way they built their linebacker core. They had a type at linebacker for a long time, and Duggar's come in and really operates as a dimebacker down near the line a lot. Uh, is super important to how they fit the run on defense, but gives them that flexibility, as Duggar does because he's a freak athlete, to be a tight end eraser, even stick with slot receivers if you need to. Like They've seen that kind of role, flexibility, and dynamism, and went, yeah, okay, we're going to have to we're going to have to clean the closet a little bit if we want to put more of those players in so that we can be flexible in a different way than we have been on defense in the past yeah and I think that was um in terms of some of the pickups that we're going to talk about in a little bit there is a an interesting pattern of linebacker slash safety slash nickel hybrids and I think that we're going to see some packages this year where it's like it's dime but is it though <laughs> you know <laughs> Because they have a dime. lot of guys that kind it's, of play both spots. It's heavy dime. It's heavy dime. Um, Ted Karras, by the way, forgot to mention him. He went to Cincinnati, so they're actually re technically replacing both of their uh, both of their guards this year. Hence, a I don't want to say controversial, but intriguing pick that they made in the first round of the draft that we're going to talk about coming up here. But yeah, I think that was a league penalty, huh? I think that was a league penalty. What do you mean? The league said, well, Patriots, you owe us one, and we don't want Burrow to die. So <laughs> you have to send Ted Karras to the Bengals. It's so, what's, so what's the explanation for Shaq to the Bucks? Oh, we want, we want Tom that to make a run here? That was a personal favor to Tom. Yeah, that, was, yeah. that was family stuff. That's, that's completely different. This was imposed by the league. No, I'm just kidding. That's, but that's are you, though? Little, are you little though? conspiracy theory, family thing, you know. In terms of guys, they uh, they resigned Trent Brown. They brought back for only like less than six million, which for a guy that's probably going to start a right tackle for you, great. James White, uh, the ageless James White, receiving back extraordinaire, two and a half million, thirty years old, keeps on trucking, love it. Jacoby Myers, they had a second round tender that he signed, so he's back. He's Mister Third Down for them. Um, you know, Mister Dig Route. They're going to call Dagger. 50 times a game and he's going to be the dig that comes wide open underneath and then you know okay just go catch a million balls over the middle jacoby try not to die that's his role 
Uh, Juwan Bentley is like the one Coke machine linebacker that they did retain because they, they, they're always going to have at least one and he's it, but they couldn't have three anymore. They just, they, they have to get away from that type. So if they want, if they want to play a dime package and have like a four down front with like one linebacker that can reliably take on a guard and shed a tackle or shed that block and, and make a tackle, it's going to be Juwan Bentley. Uh, Juwan Bentley, excuse me, but he's going to be the only one. Every, everybody else is going to be more flexible. And he was uh, the youngest one. <laughs> and he was the youngest one, true. He's yeah. only 26. Um, Devin McCourty, speaking of ageless wonders, uh, defensive coordinator Devin McCourty. <laughs> uh, Brian Hoyer, quarterback's coach slash backup quarterback. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying it until it's true because I guarantee you it is. And then uh, Carl Davis. The reason this show even exists in the first place, Carl Davis, also ageless wonder at this point, keeps on trucking eight years into his career, uh, brought in as a rotational defensive tackle at less than $2 million a year. Still a pretty good deal for Carl Davis. Yeah. If you're familiar with bootleg lore, Carl Davis is the player that Brett and I discussed at length in Mobile in 2020 when we met. Um, was a bit of a random topic, but we both felt very strongly about him. Uh, ended up talking about him probably four or five times that week, and I think that's when you knew you were like, oh, no. For no particular have... reason either. No, he just kept coming <laughs> up. Uh, so we feel we need to immortalize Carl Davis, uh, not necessarily because of his playing production, but because we both loved him as a player. Man, do you freaking believe that Carl Davis didn't get... Anyways, that's the whole reason we're here in the first place, so we're going to... We're gonna we're gonna have a little fun with it, uh, but still chugging away on the Patriots. A very Patriots player, really, as an internal defensive lineman who can do uh, who can just eat downs for them and be very assignment sound, strong, stout dude. In terms of uh, third party additions, didn't have a whole lot of them, but the ones they did have, again, kind of playing into the whole, you know, trying to get a little bit more flexible on defense. Uh, and also giving Mac a little bit more help on offense. Terrence Mitchell, you know, just a veteran corner, is going to be coming in probably more more in dime situations, I would imagine. I mean, maybe he's one of their top three, but uh, I don't know. I still kind of like some of the other guys on the roster, so I'm I'm not totally convinced that he's going to be starting over, you know, either Jack Jones or or Marcus Jones. Either of those guys, I I still think that they would they would beat out Terrence Mitchell for a for a spot in the top three. Um, in terms of on defense, as I mentioned, they traded for Mac Wilson. That was the the other half of the Chase Winovich trade, trying to get a little bit more athletic linebacker, somebody who was a little bit more flexible for them. And then Jabril Peppers, as I mentioned, you know, hybrid safety linebacker, nickel, whatever you want him to do, pretty much in between the numbers, he can do it. He's tough enough to play a quasi linebacker role, quick enough to play nickel, um, smart enough to you know. If, if let's, God forbid, Devin goes out for a game or two, smart enough to run your defense that way. Um, I think that he's a perfect fit for them. Very, very solid player. And uh, he's going to be on the field quite a bit, especially if they're running those dime packages with Bentley as like the one linebacker. And then he's coming in to play like dimebacker. Like that's that's his gig. So I'm I'm pretty excited to see how him and Ducker are going to be used on the field at the same time because they can do a lot of similar things. Yeah, and it feels to me like he's 80-85% of Duggar, so they have him listed directly behind Duggar on the depth chart, but that does not mean that they're not going to be on the field in that, you know, is it dime package, the heavy dime package we were talking about? 
absolutely see those guys both having a role because you're not going to know which one is staying down and which one's going in coverage. They can rotate. They can do a lot of the same things. That can be very confusing to an offense. So to be able to get a player like that, it's physically gifted with a lot of experience for $2 million. That's nothing. That's nothing. You know, that's Bill the GM helping Bill the coach out quite a bit. So I overall, I'm I'm pretty enthused by how we've seen the Patriots kind of retool their roster over the last couple of years. They're still an older team, but they're actively trying to get younger. They're trying to get faster. They're trying to get more flexible because you've got to deal with some offenses in this division now that are are pretty tough to stop. Miami is extremely fast. Buffalo is extremely fast. The Jets, assuming everything works out, have a lot of speed too. Can't be slow anymore. You, you can't get away with it. They have to be faster, and I think they got faster. Yeah, you um, talk about retooling. I want to talk about their wide receiver core a little bit because, uh, you know, again, casual observers of the Patriots from the outside are used to seeing a sort of patched together wide receiving core uh, kind of always. They don't draft a lot of homegrown talent at that spot, and uh, the ones they do don't, uh, don't tend to stick, and they've had um, – <laughs> limited success in free agency as well so yeah, you're, you're being very kind right now. i am i'm, I'm just <laughs> yeah i don't want to i don't want to get i bring emotions. up aaron dobson but i really don't want to traumatize all the oh, patriots yeah. fans listening to this right now <laughs> that's just because i did pre-pod anyways <laughs> oh man no this wide receiver core is not your uh, maybe half uncles, <laughs> Patriots wide receiver core. Um, certainly not your dad's Patriots wide receiver core. Devontae Parker coming over in the trade, Kendrick Bourne, and Jacoby Myers. Jacoby playing that role you mentioned as the super reliable, cross the middle, just need a catch target. The other guys playing more outside. That is not, those are not three guys outside of Myers that Patriots fans have seen. And, you know, last year's uh, free agent baby Nelson Aguilar that they paid a ton of money to is playing backup. Will he play? Absolutely. And then when we get down to the draft, we'll talk about Tyquan Thornton, uh, who it looks like through the early pieces of camp is going to play a significant role and is different again in skill set. So this wide receiver core again bill the gm looking at bill the coach going well i don't seem to be able to draft him so i need to trade for him i need to sign him i'm going to take another swing at drafting him but i'm going to get a different type and i'm going to see if i can put weapons around my young quarterback i already i feel pretty good about my offensive line i'm, I'm pretty solid there my running game is different than the rest of the league but we're very happy with what it does and we feel good about that the wide receivers we just don't feel great about that. So I'm going to exercise some other options and have what essentially is a new look receiving core for the Patriots. And I'm sure Max excited about that to have more and different targets to throw to. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with them now, Patriots fans uh, do a little homework. You're going to see a lot of them. I think only two of the top seven Patriots receivers were drafted by the Patriots. They've really done a lot of work, and I'm including Jacoby Myers being a little bit cheeky with it, but he was UDFA. He wasn't drafted, um, but they've they've done a lot of work over the last couple of years because Bourne and Aguilar were last year, um, and then Parker was this year. They've, they've done a lot to at least try to infuse this team with talent because the lack of talent at receiver was 
One of the big reasons why Tom wanted out in the first place. So I'm, I'm happy to at least see they're trying not to make the same mistake with Mac. They're trying to give him weapons. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, speaking of drafted receivers, by the way, you and I actually really liked their draft class this year. They, they again, mentioned... Had to get younger, had to get faster. They did that at virtually every position that they drafted. It was all about speed and explosiveness and trying to keep up with the Bills. They brought in a lot of speed. They brought in um, a lot of speed at positions where maybe they haven't had some. They also just brought in a lot of players. This is one of the larger draft classes in the league. Um, a little more bottom-heavy than top-heavy just in terms of where their picks were. I'll go through them pretty quickly, and then we'll go right back to the top because I know you did an entire film room episode on Cole Strange, so I'll let you talk about him a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about Tyquan Thornton, who we saw at the Shrine Bowl. But starting off, uh, round one, pick 29, Cole Strange, guard from Chattanooga with, again, the free agency losses. It's a little less surprising, but a lot of Patriots fans were very surprised, putting it mildly. Round two, pick 50, Tyquan Thornton, the wide receiver from Baylor, super fast and has made a pretty good impression in his limited time so far in Foxborough. Round three, pick 85, Marcus Jones, the cornerback from Houston, also a very good returner, so a special mm -hmm. team's value there. Uh, and then they drop all the way down. Round four, pick 121, Jack Jones, guy that we, again, saw at the Shrine Bowl, interviewed him there, uh, corner from Arizona State. One of your favorite picks next, also in round four. They had three fourth-round picks. This is the middle one. Pick 127, Pierre Strong Jr., running back from South Dakota State. Another guy we saw at the Shrine Bowl. Another guy you really liked and were higher on than, uh, I think, some folks. Um, we really thought he was going to be great in an outside zone system. Ends up in New England. It'll be interesting to see how they use him. I know you have strong feelings about that. And then what would it? What Patriots draft would it be <laughs> if with their final pick in the fourth round, they didn't pick a quarterback that nobody else was really looking at? Uh, Bailey Zappi, quarterback from Western Kentucky, um, caught Bill's eye and ended up being a Patriot. They dropped down no fifth-round picks. In the sixth round, again, three sixth-round picks, so three-fourths and then three-sixths. 183, they pick up Kevin Harris, a banger of a running back from South Carolina. Second pick, pick 200, Sam Roberts, defensive tackle, Northwest Missouri State, uh, one of the first players in this draft that I had no idea who he was. <laughs> it's very Patriots pa of them. Patriots yeah. are always good for that. I was actually a bit surprised that it was the sixth and not more like the third, but there you go. <laughs> uh, last pick in the sixth, 210, Chasen Hines, the offensive liner from LSU. And their final pick, round seven, way down at 245, Andrew Stuber, offensive lineman, Michigan. I got to say, this one is so Patriots. And six years from now, he will be their starting guard or tackle, doesn't matter, and will have played like, I don't know, 
90 games for them. <laughs> yeah. And everybody will be like, Andrew Stuber, wasn't he like a fifth, sixth? Uh, there, there were so many people where it was like, oh, my God, uh, we lost Ted Karras. Then the Stuber pick happened. It's like, all right, we got another Ted Karras. We're good. We're fine. We're, we're, we're the Patriots. We'll yeah, figure it so- out. Speaking of offensive line, talk a little bit about Cole Strange because, again, you dove deeply into that game, too. I don't know. Were you trying to assuage the fears of the New England faithful, or or what were you doing with Cole Strange on Film Room? I was trying to explain, uh, when you look at like the draft in a macro sense, the most reliable position you could take in the first round is interior offensive line, and it's not even particularly close. They hit more than every other position. When you have an interior offensive lineman who also happens to be one of the most athletic guard prospects ever going to a franchise that has a history of developing every single offensive lineman that that hits that building. Again, we we talk about, ah, they lost Karras, they they lost Shaq. Those guys weren't first-round picks. They developed them. Like, we have supreme confidence in Stuber because that's what they do. They develop guys. So if you give them that ball of clay to mold when they're already good at molding guys that are significantly less physically gifted than him, I have confidence that he is going to be a Pro Bowl type player like quickly, very quickly. His first step is insane. Um, He is one of the freakiest guys in terms of being able to reach block that I've ever seen. And, you know, People talk about the the viral clip of McVeigh saying like, "Oh, we were looking at him at, at pick like one forty four or whatever the fuck it was," and people are like, "Oh my god, the Patriots reached. The Rams were looking at him that late." And it's like, well, Kyle Shanahan literally said that same week that they were looking at Cole Strange as a first round pick too. So one team's valuation, especially a team that took two two out well in the second round, uh, one team's valuation might not be the end all be all here. When you look at the physical talent, how he fits with that coaching staff that already has a history of molding guys. Um, and not to mention, I, I do think that they took him as an indication of where they're going philosophically. I think they're going to lean more into outside zone now because they have a quarterback that is pretty good at it. Like he's mobile. He can get out quickly. He can get to his landmarks, hand the ball off. You know, they took Pierre Strong, who is a premier outside zone <laughs> type runner because he has the speed to threaten the edge and he's got great feet so he can slam on the brakes and cut back like you want from a guy in an outside zone and oh by the way outside zone in the last three years of Tom Brady's run with New England was the most common type of run they called like they've kind of wanted to do this for a while but now they have an athletic quarterback they have a super fast running back they have a super athletic guard now they can lean into it more than ever and really become 49ers East and run all that same shit. So I think Cole Strange is a key piece to that in terms of becoming that type of run game. I think Pierre Strong is going to play a a lot more important role than people think because he's the best back on the roster for doing that type of run. I think Tyquan Thornton is going to be a big beneficiary of that because guess what? As soon as those outside runs start or outside zone runs start working, you got to drop a safety down. You're playing one high. Here comes the deep post to a receiver that runs 4-2, crossing that safety's face, and Matt can hit that ball consistently. This is going to be a very Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, LaFleur-type offense because that's what's working around the league, 
they're going to try it too. I saw the Cole Strange pick, and I wasn't as taken aback as a lot of Patriots fans, but I also didn't fully understand it until we got down to the middle of the fourth and they took Pierre Strong, and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh well, yeah, then it makes a lot more sense. So interesting how those two tie together. Tyquan Thornton, uh, you know, tall, more than six feet, not super tall, not a tower, very slight, very fast. We thought that that meant he was going to be the pure speed guy when we saw him at Shrine Bowl. Not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, the common phraseology of the day, boy's got some dog in him. He <laughs> does not give up to cornerbacks. He is a contested catch guy, although he doesn't look like it at first glance. So is very speedy, has pretty good hands, but also competes like crazy on intermediate routes. So think the Demir Bird route in terms of or the Demir Bird role, right? They had him inside going deep, go on the post, go on the post, fake the post, go outside. Like that's Taekwon Thornton. And when you've got a speedy back going to the other side that you have to account for, you're gonna get that flow away from the play and he's gonna get one on ones. And you don't want Taekwon Thornton one on one with just about anybody that's not really really fast because he is top 10 percent fast i want to talk about marcus jones too marcus jones played outside at houston although he is shorter he is also tough he is a dog he competes against bigger receivers they didn't rotate him inside against much bigger receivers going against smu he's playing against a guy six two well over 200 pounds nope Stayed on one-on-one the whole game outside. Never I, moved I him. desperately wanted to throw boxing gloves on him in that game because he, God, he wanted to fight that guy so bad. <laughs> yep. And uh, great sort of two-way versatility in terms of Patriots always wanting their players to do more play special teams. Like Marcus Jones is a legit threat as a returner. Several return touchdowns in college at Houston. And then Jack Jones, I thought he was too slight. Um not just meeting him in person, he's very slight. He's very skilled, but he just sort of wasn't my cup of tea. He has impressed from day one in New England. The New England media are talking up Jack Jones and the role he's going to play early in their defense a lot. So I'm going to sort of take the mini L on this one and wait and see what we get. Uh, but he's made a tremendous first impression for the Patriots, which is great. And as you go down the rest of that draft class, all guys that are going to see use, same thing with Chase and Hines. He gets thrown right into the development factory. Kevin Harris is going to be the opposite. We're talking about lightning and thunder or, you know, slash and hammer, whatever you want. So you could just see a path for each of these guys and, you know, a ton of lower round picks to fill. Again, we talked about them being one of the oldest rosters in the league, ton of young guys, three fourth-rounders, three sixth-rounders, and seventh-rounder, just refilling the roster, right? UDFA-wise, I was, to be perfectly honest, I was rather underwhelmed in terms of a lot of the UDFAs they picked up. Like, I look at Miami's class. We talked about, well, we're recording the same night as the Miami episode, but we talked about it uh, yesterday as far as when the episodes come out. Look at Miami's UDFA class versus this one. It is not close. It, no. it, they, I, and again, it's the Patriots. They probably know something I don't because they're the Patriots. The only one I really felt excited about was LeBron Ray. And other than that, I was kind of, eh, whatever. And, Take it or leave and, it. 
And where did LeBron Ray play? Alabama. Alabama. Mm-hmm. So they've got they've got all the beta they need on LeBron Ray. I don't disagree with you, and I do disagree with the Patriots and their UDFA approach because this is typical for them. They usually have small classes, not a ton of guys, not a ton of them stick. Um, they do bring in UDFAs from other teams, which is strange to me, but their own UDFA halls are not typically very large, very rich. Um, so, you know, they brought in Derek King for a look. Maybe they thought they could do something with him. He's already gone. He's gone to the CFL. But other than that, what's left? I'm not saying none of these guys will work out because, again, they brought in a couple of guards, right? One of them's probably going to work at least as a practice squatter, whether I know him about him or not. Um, you know, an edge rusher from Purdue, cornerback from – or a safety from Texas that's not the one that I liked. But, you know, LeBron Ray, I was like – when I saw his name on the list, I was like, Patriot. It's like Carl Davis, right? He's a Carl Davis type. He's going to get in there. He's a little bit less athletic than Carl Davis. But, again, you can see the fit. The rest of them, oh, just a bunch of guys. And that's not, again, not atypical for the Patriots. They don't, they're not Chris Ballard. Let's put it that way. They're not going to bring in 40 guys, get a shot at them, uh, do multiples of the same position, and then just pick the best one. They tend to go smaller and, you know, have one or two. They just, they don't. They don't love the process, and and that's okay. They've been very successful. This is just the way they approach that facet of it. By the way, quick note, uh, Liam Shanahan was already released, by the way, for those who I know a lot of eyes immediately zeroed in on that name. As far as I can tell, no relation. Um, he was he grew up in the area. He was a New England high school kid. Um, went to Harvard, then played at LSU. Uh, but he already got released, so I didn't want to belabor the point too much but i know a lot of people are like uh is this the same shanahan as far as i can tell no different they're gonna, family they're gonna run that wide zone they needed a shanahan yeah well <laughs> maybe the wrong one yeah <laughs> um now in terms of team floor and team ceiling we're gonna have very similar discussions to what we had yesterday 11 win ceiling eight win floor they're not gonna be a bad team just like miami unlikely to be a bad team the AFC East is loaded that being said I don't see them getting more than 11 because the AFC East is loaded they're also playing against the NFC North too so there's a lot of good teams on the docket here they've got to go through an absolute hellscape of a schedule they're probably going to split in the division like maybe they can rip one off Buffalo and Miami and absolute best case scenario you're winning four games in this division and that can help them get to 11 but the AFC is too tough and their NFC slate is also too tough for me to put them above 11 and that is not a knock on them it's more so just being realistic about the conference the goal is to get to January and figure it out from there they will have a chance to make a play for the for the one seed but this is a very tough division to do that in yeah this is where I picked Dolphins and Patriots fans against each other. (laughs) They're already pretty good at that by themselves. (laughs) Yep. They're all set. I'm just going to sprinkle some gas on that particular fire. And, you know, there were Dolphins fans listening yesterday who were like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's all you think you're going to win. That's this team's too talented. And there are Patriots fans listening to this episode saying the same thing. And I'm going to go way back to an eighties movie called Highlander and say, there can be (laughs) only one. (laughs) right because if you're dolphins and patriots fans on either side of this debate 
how many times have you seen three teams within a division win double-digit games? It's, if I can't remember the last time it happened, if ever, no. to be honest. It's it's technically possible, like it's logistically possible that it could happen. It almost never happens. So I'm just going to go with the Bills winning double-digit games. You, you're going to have to give me that. And if you say that I don't get it, I'm going to stop listening to you because I think the Bills are winning double-digit games. So only one of these teams, Dolphins or Patriots, is going to be the other double-digit winner if you think they're going to win double-digit games in this division they're not going to both so the floor and ceiling discussion that we had about the patriots sounds very similar to the dolphins but one of them is going to be at the top end of that and one of them's going to one of them's going to get the ceiling one of them's going to get the floor because they both can't get the ceiling if you think the bills if you think like i do that the bills are going to win double digit games one of these two teams is going to win double digit games and the other one isn't i just had a flashback to um the the, the AFC South in 07, just because I've watched a lot of times. I thought you were going to say time. Highlander 2, and I was going to have to send you a new <laughs> bottle of scotch because that was a terrible movie. Oh, God. That could only be one. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I just had a flashback to the 2000 AFC South because I was like, I think they actually did have three teams win double digits that year. And they did. Uh, Titans went 10 and 6, Jags went 11 and 5, Colts went 13 and 3. That is literally the only one off the top of my head that I can think of. Like, maybe the NFC West did uh, when they were crazy. And, well, they're still crazy now, but... Different crazy. Other than that, man, it's... It's very, very It's not rare. common. For all the divisional finishes, it's got to be in a single... Single di- low single digit percentage of times that's happened. So, if you're you know a Dolphins fan and you're arguing, no, we're going to win ten games, and you're a Patriots fan saying, no, we're going to win more than ten games, one of you is right, but you're probably not both right. So we'll see. They're both they both have the talent. That's why we do ceiling and floor. But one of them's going to get ceiling, and one of them's going to get floor. They're not both going to oh, get ceiling. The NFC West did do it last season. How about that? Yeah, they barely, had, but they did. Yeah. Barely, and there's 17 games now, so it may start happening slightly more oh, often. Oh, oh, asterisk. That doesn't count then in a 16-game season yeah. for 17. It's okay. I'm not going to yeah. say, I'm not going to exclude anybody. It's very rare percentage-wise. So is it possible that the Bills, the Patriots, and the Dolphins all win double-digit games? Yes, it's technically possible. It could happen, and they're all talented enough to do it. Is it likely? No, it's highly unlikely. So, you know, it doesn't mean that three of those teams don't go to the playoffs. That I could see with one of them being maybe a nine-game winner. But in terms of, like, three of them racking up double-digit wins in that division where they're going to be eating each other, uh, not I don't, I don't see it happening. Man, the AFC East is tough. Uh, it is only going to get tougher because we've got to get to the Bills tomorrow. But this division is... One of the most cannibalistic, I think, because all of them, and I mean all of them, are the stuff of nightmares for each other. The Bills are are the big bad, but I, I guarantee you they still are looking over their shoulder at New England and Miami because they've got firepower. And the Jets are just lurking. They're just lurking. You know what it reminds me of? Huh? AFC North. Oh, uh, it's just black and blue, beat the shit out of each other. 
Right, but they're get to all January and hope for the best. Three power teams that were you know going back and forth at each other, and then you know the, the bottom one kind of shifted out, but it was always Steelers and Ravens, and then maybe the Browns. You know, lately Browns have been good, Bengals have been good in there. There's one team at the bottom lurking, right? And AFC East for so long was Patriots, and then you know the rest. And mm-hmm. Bills have ascended under the you know McDermott and Bean regime. Uh, Dolphins look to be ready to step up to that new england took one sort of down year (laughs) even their bad year we talked about wasn't terrible and they went right back to double digit wins so now you got three teams that are at the top and the jets really talented but need to take a step and yeah all of a sudden we're going to be you know afc east games you know interdivisional games are are going to intra-divisional games are going to be super fun to watch because they're all going to be slapping the snot out of each other so, we got one more team to go. Bills are tomorrow, and then the AFC East macro uh, kind of look through is on Friday, where we're talking about MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Coach of the Year within the division itself, all that kind of stuff. I'm sure the comments are going to be a fucking war zone, but that's okay. <laughs> that's why we make these types of shows, uh, because all of you love fighting about football. And it's the off season. What else are we going to talk about? but uh we'll be back here same time tomorrow same place to uh talk about bill's mafia and uh and how if you're gonna bet on any horse in the afc they might be the best one to do it hope you guys uh enjoyed the show stay happy stay healthy stay safe we love you and uh until tomorrow later take care